turn with me again to John chapter 14. For the last couple of weeks, we have been studying this passage, verses 22 through 26. A passage that we have entitled, The Doctrine of Revealing. For in this passage, Jesus is asked a question, a question about revelation. And he responds to that question. He reiterates some things that he has said previously. But that question and his response raises this issue of revelation or revealing. So let's look at these verses. John chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, so we might call this Judas the good Judas. Then the good Judas said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not, who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We have also been reading this passage each week from the Passion Translation, which I think makes it more meaningful and richer for us. Then one of the disciples named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, why is it you will only reveal your identity to us and not to everyone? Jesus replied, Loving me empowers you to obey my word. And my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. But those who don't love me will not obey my words. The Father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my Father. I am telling you this while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Spirit of holiness, the one like me who sets you free, he will teach you all things in my name, and he will inspire you to remember every word that I've told you. Last week we were looking at this question that Judas asked. We entitled our study last week, The Quandary of Sovereignty. And we were looking at this question, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? We've been asking this question, who gets to know Jesus and how does one come to believe in him? In John chapter 5, verses 21 and 27, Jesus said, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And then in John chapter 6 and verse 65, Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Judas's question is about discretionary revelation. Why us and not others? Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, God has given a general revelation of himself to all people. And it is sufficient enough that the Bible says that people are without excuse 
in turning away from God, in not seeking Him. David declared in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 that God's invisible qualities are seen through that which He has created. And so there is a general revelation of God that is given to all people, and yet, Scripture also makes it clear that people cannot believe unless they hear the gospel. We looked at the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 last week, that if we believe and we confess, we will be saved. But how can they call upon one whom they have not believed, and how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can someone preach to them unless they are sent? And so it is necessary for someone to hear the gospel if they are going to believe. But why some get to hear and others don't, will remain in part a mystery until we get to eternity when all things are revealed to us. But as we said last week, while it may not be clear to us why some are privileged to hear the gospel and others die without having heard the truth about Jesus, there are certain things about which the scriptures give clear, complete clarity. They are things that you and I need to understand and that we need to take to heart. We need to understand and know that God has taken the initiative for my salvation, and therefore I am utterly dependent upon His mercy. We need to understand that my faith is based on Christ's merit. And apart from his worth, that is, his righteousness, I am utterly worthless. I have no merit. It is by grace that you and I have been saved. And this through faith, it is the gift of God and not of works. You and I cannot attain any righteousness before God. Therefore, we need to seek the worth of Jesus. You and I believed not because we possessed the faith to believe, but because someone spoke the word to us, and the word produced faith in our hearts. Now this goes with what we said in point number one, that God has taken initiative for our salvation. In that passage in Romans chapter 10, Paul wrote, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So it is the Word of God spoken to us that creates faith within us. It enables us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart, confess with our mouth, and are thus saved. You and I may not have the answer for why People who do not hear are judged. But you and I have heard, and we do know the good news. And because we do, much more will be required of us than of those who haven't heard. And finally, the living proof of my love for Christ is my obedience to his commands. Jesus said, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. So we come back to this question of revelation. This question of how does God reveal himself? In response to Judas's question of discretionary revelation, Jesus answered by reiterating points that he had previously stated in response to Philip's revelation request. 
if you look back in this conversation that is taking place, Philip made a request on behalf of himself and the other disciples. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now, the fact that Jesus repeats himself does not diminish the importance of his words. When you and I look at what Jesus is saying in response to Judas's question, we find that Jesus is not giving an explanation of why, but of how revelation is imparted. And so the reiteration of Jesus' previously expressed words magnify two truths. One, that spiritual revelation is beyond human initiative. And two, it is subject to and intended by God for his purposes. And so it's very important for us to understand Spiritual revelation is beyond human initiative. And it is subject to and intended by God. Not, as Paul wrote, so that I can be puffed up in what I know, but so that God's purposes can be accomplished. In the reply that Jesus makes to Judas, There are critical principles, a sober warning, an extraordinary calling. And one of the interesting things that we find is that in the end, we understand that revelation is not as discretionary as what Judas thought. My prayer is that you and I would have ears to hear tonight what Jesus is saying and what the Spirit would say to us in this doctrine of revealing. There are three principles in the response of Jesus to this question of revelation that was posed by Judas. Now, once again, you and I are going to see Judas ask a why question, but Jesus gave how answers. Judas asked, why is revelation not given to the whole world? And Jesus responded with how revelation is given. Jesus said, first of all, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is the obedience principle of Revelation. Jesus had said previously, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the third time in this conversation that Jesus has linked love and obedience to his commands. Now we need to ask, what commands? Because the Bible is full of commands. And in one sense, it includes everything. But in the context of Jesus and his disciples, it includes everything that he taught in the Gospels through his ministry. Everything especially that he taught in his kingdom sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And specifically, the commands that he had given this evening with his disciples. Remember that he had said to them, after they had shared the meal together, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know. There's a revelation emphasis. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In John chapter 6 and verse 29, Jesus responded to a question. The question that the people asked was this. What are the works that God requires of us? And Jesus responded that the first work God requires is to believe in his Son. Later he told his disciples, he told us, his sheep, that the reason the Father loves him is because he lays down his life. Very shortly in this conversation with his disciples, he will tell them that he has obeyed his Father's commands and so remains in the Father's love. Earlier this evening, after washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus said to them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What does Jesus want his disciples to understand about revelation, about the link between love and obedience to his commands, and then experiencing love and revelation that comes from the presence of God? Well, when you and I look at Jesus, we see someone who is not controlled by self-love or self-preservation. In the garden, he would pray, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. Neither was Jesus motivated by the duty to obey. In love, the Father gave his Son for the world, and the Son in love obeys the Father. Jesus does not obey out of duty. He obeys out of love. Perfect love, the Apostle John wrote in his first letter, cast out all fear. When you and I understand that, when we look at the, the example and the life of Jesus, we realize that love makes cost irrelevant. And it makes sacrifice acceptable. When you and I truly love someone, and when we love someone selflessly, the cost to our own selves does not enter the picture. We don't even think twice about making a sacrifice. We love, and so we simply do. Love makes cost irrelevant and sacrifice acceptable. Love does not debate the merits of obedience or fear the cost of obedience. Love has only the worth of the other one in view. Love does not ask, why did God let this happen to me? Instead, love would ask, how can I please him in this? How can he be glorified in my life through this circumstance. And so it is through the example of Jesus, the example that he set for us, that you and I understand that love compels what we will call worth obedience. Because of the worth of the Father, because he was worth loving, Jesus obeyed him out of love. 
because of the worth of who Jesus is as our Lord and our Master. We want to follow his example. We want to obey him. Because our children are worth so much to us. We are willing to sacrifice for them. We don't look at the cost and say, ah, that's too much cost for me. We aren't concerned about our own self-preservation. No, their worth compels us to respond out of love. And so again, in the same way, the example of Jesus helps us to understand that love compels worth obedience. To those motivated to obey because of love compelled by worth, Jesus has made this extraordinary promise. Look at it once again, meditate on it. We'll read it over a couple of times. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Again, to those motivated to obey because of love compelled by worth. Jesus, because of your worth, I want to obey your commands. Jesus, because of your worth, I won't think about what it's worth to me or what it will cost me. I love you. I want to obey you. To such people, Jesus has made this extraordinary promise. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. What beautiful words. If you love me and obey me, my Father will love you. And we together will come to you. And we will make you our dwelling place. This is an extraordinary thought. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks of how we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That God makes us his habitation. It's another spiritual mystery. How can you and I become the habitation of the infinite God who stoops down to look on the heavens, as the psalmist described? And yet, Jesus is promising that we will be loved by the same one who so deeply loves him. And that together they will come and make our home, their home with us. This promise follows Jesus' previous presence revelation promise. He said earlier, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So, love obedience enables us in turn to experience love presence and presence revelation. So, when we out of love, again, not out of duty, but because of the worth of Jesus to us, when we obey out of love, then we experience the love presence of the Father and of Jesus. They come to us. They love us. They make our home with us. And we also experience presence revelation. Jesus comes to us, he said, and I will show myself to them. Now, with these terms, I'm not simply making a play on words. When you and I are too fearful to obey, too fearful of the cost, so concerned about what might happen to us and wanting to preserve ourselves. 
you and I will be unable to experience the love presence of the Father and the Son. John said, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. My concern with myself elevates my presence, and it diminishes the presence of Jesus. When I am fearful, when I am too afraid to obey because of the cost, I'm more conscious of myself than I am of Jesus. I'm more conscious of my own worth than the worth of Jesus. I'm more compelled on my own behalf than I am compelled to obey. In contrast, obedience obliterates the barrier of self. It makes intimacy possible, and it reveals Jesus to me. It draws me closer to him. There's nothing that is in the way of him. I see him more clearly. The psalmist wrote, in your light, we see light. And that's exactly what obedience does. That love-worth response brings us into a place where we experience his presence, and his presence brings revelation of who he is. So how does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through disciples who are loving others as they are being loved by the Father and the Son. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, that you and I should love, being imitators of God, who loved us, and in response to Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice. God reveals himself through disciples who are walking in the revelation of Christ's love, truth, and example. In 1 John, chapter 2, and verses 3 through 6. The Apostle John wrote, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so again, how does God reveal himself? How is God made known to the world? This is Jesus' first how response to Judas's why question. To reveal himself to the world, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And then through disciples who are loving as they are being loved and who are walking in the revelation of Christ's truth, love, and example, the world then knows Jesus. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Secondly, Jesus gives this principle in response to Judas's question. It is the principle of exclusiveness. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Earlier in this conversation, as part of his response to Philip's question, Jesus had said, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now, when you and I read these words of Jesus, this response to Judas, we realize that to reject or neglect the commands of Jesus is a compounded transgression. For when one rejects or neglects the words of Jesus, it is not only rejecting his words, it is also rejecting the authority of God. It is rejection of God's revelation. And it ultimately leads to judgment. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now, you and I discover some very important truths in what Jesus is saying here. When you and I think of the word revelation, it's synonymous with certain things. It's synonymous with words like seeing, understanding. It is synonymous with light. If you and I have a flashlight when it is dark, we can see what is around us. We have revelation of anything that we might trip over. The psalmist was speaking of this when he said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Revelation is exclusive to light and to spiritual life. Look at these words that we find throughout John, beginning in the prologue. The apostle John wrote, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus said in John 6, 63, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. In chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. And here in John chapter 14, I know that his command leads to eternal life. How does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through disciples who are receiving his life-giving words and walking in his life-giving way. Now, the world is in darkness. It does not have understanding. It does not know which way to go. So how is Jesus revealed to the world? Through his disciples. Through his disciples who receive his life-giving words. Words that light up their lives with his life. Through disciples who are walking in his life-giving way. In the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, as he urged them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you firmly hold 
to the word of life. So the word of God is synonymous with revelation. Light is synonymous with revelation. And as you and I walk in the light of God, the word of God gives life. And it is revealed through us so that there is a testimony to the world. The Spirit-taught principle of revelation is the third thing that Jesus says in response to Judas's question. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul wrote, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Remember Jesus saying, The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. In this third principle of revealing, we have this beautiful promise that is given by Jesus. It is a wonderful Trinitarian statement that Jesus makes. As we have noted before, throughout this time that Jesus is speaking with his disciples, he's laying the groundwork for apostolic revelation that will come later as the Holy Spirit inspires the apostles, eyewitnesses of Jesus, what to write about the truths of G concerning Jesus. And there is this wonderful presentation by Jesus himself of the Trinity. And here in this sentence, he presents to us the Holy Spirit, the Father, and himself. All working together to bring about revelation and understanding. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus told his disciples that the Spirit would teach the disciples all things and remind them of everything he had taught them. Take note of those two aspects, teach you all things and remind you of everything. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 that those who do not have the Spirit of God are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in them. Once again, we see what Jesus was referring to earlier, this connection between revelation, understanding, light, and life. And that when one does not have understanding, they do not have life. In responding to Nicodemus concerning the kingdom of God and entering into it, Jesus said that unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus made that statement because Nicodemus, like every other good Jew, was under the assumption 
that because they were descendants of Abraham and they had the covenant that God had given to Abraham through circumcision, that they were automatically qualified for the kingdom of God. But Jesus said that unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot enter. So only those who are born of the Spirit and are taught by the Spirit can reveal spiritual realities, according to the Apostle Paul. So you and I need to be born of the Spirit in order to have spiritual understanding. And only when we are born of the Spirit and have spiritual understanding can we also in turn, explain spiritual realities to someone else. So how did Peter know what to say on the day of Pentecost? When you and I read the sermon, Peter's response to people's amazement and people's criticism as the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, it is it is. An amazing sermon. Peter draws out one prophetic word after another from the Old Testament. He connects, first of all, what is happening to what Joel said would take place. How did he know? Well, Jesus probably taught his disciples a whole lot more than what you and I have recorded for us in the Gospels. In fact, John tells us at the end of his Gospel that if everything that Jesus said and did had been recorded, the world could not contain the books. So no doubt Jesus taught his disciples some of these things. As we continue reading Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, he masterfully connects prophecies that David made with the events of the life of Jesus, with the actions of those who crucified Jesus, with the fulfillment of Jesus being the Messiah. How did he gain such insight of Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah? Remember just a few days earlier, the disciples were wondering if Jesus was at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Just 10 days earlier, they did not have clarity. So how is it just 10 days later, that he is able to explain in such a clear and convincing manner these spiritual truths so that 3,000 people heard, believed, and were baptized in the name of Jesus. We come back to the words of Jesus. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So again, for a third time, we ask this question, how does God reveal himself? He does so through disciples who are spiritually alive, spiritually filled, and spiritually taught. And we say that with an uppercase S, meaning disciples who are spirit alive. They have been born again by the Spirit of God. They are spirit-filled. And they are taught by the Spirit. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth.
So again, we come back to Judas's question. His was a why question. Why do you reveal yourself to us and not to everyone? Jesus gave three how responses. How revealing takes place. And so we have called this study Jesus' doctrine of revealing. It is not a why, as Judas supposed. It is a how. If Jesus is to be revealed to the world, it will be through his disciples. It is an extraordinary thought. It is beyond our understanding. Yet when we look in Scripture, it is very clear to us that God has linked his purposes and his work here on earth to us. If the nations are to hear the gospel and believe, it won't be because Jesus walks the earth, goes to every nation, and shows himself to everyone. It will be because his disciples desire to have his revelation. And as he is revealed to them, they reveal him to the world. And so, this is why Jesus responds in this way to Judas's question. Judas's question then becomes a how question. How, Lord, will you reveal yourself to us so that you can be revealed to the world? I'll reveal myself to you as you obey me. And as you obey me out of love, you'll begin to experience my presence. As you are in my presence, you'll see me clearly. I will reveal myself to you as you take to heart my words and you walk in my light. I will reveal myself to you as you respond to my words, as you open your hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit, as you are made spiritually alive. And as you listen to the Holy Spirit so that he can teach you spiritual realities. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses to all the world. You see, what Jesus is saying to Judas becomes true for every generation of believers. He will not come and reveal himself to the world. In every generation, he will reveal himself to his disciples, to those who have believed in his name, to those who are walking in his truth, to those whose love obedience draws them closer to him in intimacy and revelation to those who are seeking to be filled with the same Spirit that filled Jesus and enabled Him to reveal the Father. How is Jesus revealed to the world? Through you and through me. And so you and I don't really need to consider this why question. Why do some get to hear and others don't? What you and I need to understand, take to heart and want to have revealed in us is the why answers or the how answers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this to the Philippians whether in life or in death.
I want Christ to be magnified through me. And that should be our desire, for that is how Jesus will be revealed, by being magnified in your life and my life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are reminded once again, as we consider your words this evening, of the words of the Apostle Paul, that we are living epistles written by the Holy Spirit. That we are the light of the world and we are to let your light in us and through us be so revealing that people see our Father who is in heaven and they glorify him. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us, cause our hearts, our spirits to be gripped by this understanding that if Jesus is to be revealed to the world, it will be through me. And if I am to be capable of revealing you to this world, Lord Jesus, it will be because of your worth to me that causes me to love you in obedience and to walk closely with you in your truth, to experience your life within me so that the world can see that it's not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so I pray tonight that you would accomplish this in us through the Holy Spirit. May we become living epistles, true witnesses, revealing lights to this world so that they too may know you and put their trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.